If you will, take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 35. Genesis chapter 35 this morning. We will continue our walk through the book of Genesis, looking at this history. And we left off last week, finishing up chapter 34. And, uh, and, and there we, we were confronted with a new paradigm, as I said. We looked at um, the, the paradigm of defilement, and uh, we now will look at cleansing. What is the answer uh, for our defilement? And we asked two questions, that first, and then how can we live in a land with the Canaanites and uh, either not kill them and not be defiled ourselves. Um, We saw last week that uh, Shalem, the city, and Shechem were more righteous and loved the law of God better than uh, Jacob's sons. Uh, And then we saw that the central theme was defilement. Uh, There came by the schemes of the devil a defilement of Dinah. This defilement was mishandled, being dealt with in a sinful manner, the defilement went from Dinah and spread to the rest of the family, first through the murderous acts of Simeon and Levi, then the rest of the brothers as they despoiled the town and took the women and children for themselves. This leaves Jacob's sheikdom defiled and in need of cleansing. And it brings up a great question, one that the church must answer. How can we, being the cleansed of the Lord, be called out, the called out ones, live in the promised land, with the defiled and not become defiled. Because as the last chapter illustrates, we cannot kill the unbeliever and we cannot escape from the land. We will see this morning that this answer, which this text gives us, will probably give our Platonist minds a, the heebie-jeebies. Right? We, we just we think logically and this and we, cause and effect and these are the, these are the things and, and it's going to bother us. God's answer to being uh, to to do is to do <clears throat> prescribed acts, and we will be cleansed. But this is this is ritualistic, and we are past that in the church age. We are told we are more mature. Therefore, we should shun priestcraft in all its forms. But God's word tells us something differently. It says we do certain things by faith. Then God works uh, those things out for us. The question at the end of this sermon will be, do we believe what he has told us? If you will, stand to honor the reading of God's word and remain standing as we ask God the Holy Spirit to bless the preaching of his word this morning. Genesis 35, starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord reads, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appears, appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. And Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourself and change your garments. Then let us rise, arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there who, to, there to God who answered me in the days of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which, which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities 
that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is the land of Canaan, <clears throat> he and all the people who were with him. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Deborah Re- Rebekah's nurse, died, <clears throat> and she was buried below Bethel under the terebinth tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padanaram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us now go to the Lord in prayer. Blessed and almighty God, we thank you, Father, for the things that you give us to do to show our faith in you. Father, help us to believe in those things all the more, God, and make them effective not only in our lives but in our community. And Father, may you be glorified by the preaching of your word. May you be increased and I decreased. And Father, may you be glorified in all that is accomplished here in your house, for it is in your Son, Jesus Christ, holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It is God who shows us what to do to be cleansed, verses 1 through 4. We have to keep in mind what we learned last week and then the subsequent command by God. There had been defilement and there was a need for cleansing. These two concepts are new to the text of Genesis and are only found here. This means that there is something new to look at and deal with. The chapter now deals with the answer. How are we cleansed? God commanded Jacob to return to Bethel, dwell there, and build build an altar. Now there is little detail here, but what we have to remember is that Jacob had made a vow to pay a tithe. The tithe would come with a sacrifice, and if they were to draw near to God, they needed to deal with this defilement. It seems that God told Jacob the means, and he related this to his household. Put away your foreign gods, take out your earrings, and change your garments. This was not just actions to be taken, as we see two things that can be misunderstood. First, We must not think of the household gods stolen from Laban. These were likely already disposed of earlier as they were points of ridicule. Second, this passage has nothing to do with women wearing earrings. Some of our brothers and sisters in Christ take this passage to tell little girls they can't get their ears pierced, which is funny to me because God pierces the church's nose and gives her a nice pretty nose ring. They would be a lot worse... Uh, against that than they would be uh, earrings. So that's not what this is telling us. It has nothing to do with jewelry. 
These uh, were probably uh, lucky charms or talismans. They wore them to uh, foster luck, right? They, they wanted good fortune, <clears throat> so they wore these things. Uh, and they were uh, ritualistically uh, making them unclean. They had to be put away. Third, we notice the changing of clothes. Now, <clears throat> this would have symbolized the removing of defilement. The early church, uh, that is the first century church, did much the same way uh, during a baptismal service. You would wear uh, a garment into the baptismal, uh, and I do believe it was a baptismal pool. You would step down into the pool and they'd pour water over top of you. When you come out, you would go change your clothes and join the congregation uh, because you now have been cleansed and you would have a different garment on. It was... It was symbolism. Uh, it, it says, I'm now clean. I've put off these things. And this is basically the same thing. So in preparation to go to Bethel, the house of God, they purified themselves and symbolized this by changing clothes. They did this so they could go before the God who had been with Jacob all, in all his journeys and heard him in his distresses. This symbolized the cleansing they were seeking. And we could say that it symbolized outwardly what was hoped for <clears throat> inwardly. And so we do this in the church. Right? We do this in the church. It, it symbolizes that which we hope has occurred. This is not just an Old Testament thing, as some would tell us. It is the answer to our earlier question. How do we live in the promised land with the Canaanites and not be defiled? Colossians 2 11 through 15 reads, <clears throat> In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, <clears throat> being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Then in chapter 3, 1 through 11 of the same book, Colossians, we read, set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. On the earth, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. You who died and your life is hidden with Christ, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language <clears throat> out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with, its, with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, 
barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Lastly, we see the same in Ephesians 4, 20-24, and many scholars would say that uh, specifically this passage, but maybe even the whole letter, is uh, a baptismal liturgy that was given to the church by Paul. We read there in 4, 20-24, But you have not so learned Christ, and indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off. Concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in truth and, and true righteousness and holiness, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, here, here's the thing. In the Old Testament, it was foreign gods, these idols that were made with hands that had to be put off. Now in the New Testament, it is uh, your manner of life that you put, you're putting off. You're putting off the old man, and you're putting on the new man. He said that several in those in all three of those passages. He says that he uses the same language that Jacob uses here. Put these foreign gods away. Well, what does it look like to have foreign gods? Well, you're a liar. You're a fornicator. You're uh, you're uh, you're a murderer. You're all these things because out of the heart, right, our actions come. And if our hearts are given to foreign gods. So Paul doesn't have to go through and list all the pantheon of gods that these Greco-Roman people had. He just said these actions that you're taking that show that you're an adherent to these false gods, put them off, put them away. And how did they, how did they symbolize that they had done that? They washed themselves. They took the ritual washings of the Jews called baptism and they showed we are being cleansed. And this is how we do that here. We baptize. And we baptize our children. They're not Canaanites either. Right? And then, once a week, we take a meal together, a ritual meal, not, not a party meal, not, not a, a dinner party, but a, a, a ritual meal that symbolizes we are one bread. We are one blood. We are one people. We are not Canaanites. We're not like the heathens out there. We are Christians. We are Christians. We mark ourselves with baptism, and then we remember unto God the, the glorious truth that we are His people. We now, being cleansed by the water of baptism, has, have changed our garments and put off or put away our foreign gods. Being cleansed by God... God protects His people from the Canaanites, verses 5 through 7. They journeyed and were not bothered by the Canaanites. This is counter to what Jacob thought would happen, as he should have earlier been overtaken and outnumbered. The reason is that the terror of God was on them. This is the first time that we see this statement, but it points to the way God uses Israel later to take the land. Joshua 2, 8 through 12 reads, Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sahan and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted 
Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. God is the one that protects His people from being overwhelmed. Even as we are outnumbered in our day, it is God who stops us from being consumed by the wicked. Having no one pursuing him for the murder of the, uh, at Shalem, Jacob and his household arrive at Luz, that is, Bethel. He does this without losing anyone who was with him. They arrive and they set up. Then he builds an altar and renames the place again. It goes from Bethel to El Bethel. So now rather than a stone, Jacob builds an altar on which can be used uh, to sacrifice unto God. The name signifies that it is the God of God's house to whom they will be sacrificing and serving. They are able now to come to God's, into God's presence because of the cleansing He alone can provide. So... We're cleansed, and then we're guarded. We're protected. Uh, and that's one of, the, one of the reasons that a lot uh, of people will, will talk of baptism as your child's shield because he is marked out and named with Christ, even if at the moment of his baptism he's not a believer or she's not a believer. They belong to Christ until they walk away. It is a shield to them. The hope of the resurrection and the death of Deborah. We are next told that when they arrived at Bethel, Rebekah's nurse, Deborah, dies. Now, in our first reading of this, we, we, we should be surprised. Where did she come from? Right? Because this is... Because when you first read it, you might mistake, you know, because it starts with the same letter. Well, that's Jacob's wife's no, it's Jacob's mom's nurse. It, it's who came with her when she left her parents and her brother and came to live with Isaac and be his wife. So why is she with Jacob? Right? Why is Deborah with Jacob and not Rebekah? Second, why is her death here recorded when we do not read of Rebekah's death, but only that they buried her with Jacob in the family tomb in Mamre, 49.31. Third, why was she not buried in the same place with Rebekah, which we will ask about Rachel later? We will take these questions one at a time. First, Henry postulates that over the years of living in Shalem, Jacob and his family could and probably did take leave to visit Isaac and Rebekah on occasion probably especially during festivals and such as that. They would probably worship together. Uh, he thinks that Rebekah died sometime within Jacob's exile. Thus, the maid may have been taken away or taken back to serve Jacob's children as she had served Jacob and accompany his wives who were from the same country. The maid, I mean the nurse, would have helped in the raising and the tending to the children. So he... She probably was dear to Jacob, like an aunt or, you know, um, we see that kind of bond as you can't raise a child and, and not love it unless you're a heartless fool. Uh, and so she probably was very dear to Jacob, so he probably brought her back to be with him. Second, this woman was beloved and honored. While Rebekah was surely loved, 
She was likely dead before Jacob returned, leaving her death story outside the purview of the Scriptures. Remember that we have left Isaac's Toledot, or Toledot, in 25, and this, though uh, it includes Isaac, is about Jacob. Thus, if Rebekah was not with him, or he with her, when she died, it was not recorded. Third, though this lady was honored, she was not the wife of a patriarch and would not be buried in the family tomb. Only the wife of the patriarch gets to, die, gets to be there. So what is being told here? Why is this here? Why do we need to know this? It seems that we are being told that those in the faith and beloved should be honored and buried with care. The reason is that we point the heathen to the resurrection and away from the Gnostic tendencies, right? Because every other religion besides uh, the Judeo-Christian heritage, which is an oxymoron, and I'll explain that later to you sometime if you'd like to hear it, but both the Jews and the Christians believe in a resurrection, most of them, and they believe that you will be raised in that body, and so that body is to be cared for, right? That is traditionally, historically what the church has taught, but everybody else says that the flesh and matter itself is bad. It's trash. You're not in it anymore. Throw it away. It's not needed. You, you're never going to be in it again. You've just become part of, you know, uh, this energy, this life energy that's in the world or whatever foolishness they may say. You don't need your body anymore. It's just junk. Many have wrongly thought that our hope is in the escape of the physical, but this denies what God has told us about ourselves. First, our bodies are good. Genesis 1.31 reads, Then God saw everything that He made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. This was right after the creation of Adam and all the animals. And so the idea that we are somehow to jettison these bodies and just live in the ethereal with God out in nothingness uh, and be invisible but somehow see each other doesn't make sense. It, it actually denies Scripture. Right? Second, the last Adam was raised bodily. Turn to Luke 24. 24, and we'll start in verse 36. Luke 24, verses 36 through 43. The word of the Lord reads, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed that he supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, by hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveling, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate in their presence. Physical body. Physical body. He ate food. 
Now, here's the greatest joy of the thought of eternity for me after the resurrection. I'm going to get to eat food and not have to worry about cholesterol or bad health. You know, I'm just going to be able to enjoy the goodness of God's creation. Now, if you try to pin me down and say, well, what is it going to be like? Well, unless you can point me to a verse, I don't know. And that's all right. Because the Lord hadn't told me exactly. But this is what I do know. I know, I know a few things. Well, let me get to my third point, and then we'll, we'll get to that. Third, the last Adam ascended to the Father bodily. Daniel 7, 13-14 is fulfilled in Luke 24, 50 and 51, which reads... And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Right? So, third, uh, well, actually fourth, we will be like the last Adam, Jesus. We'll be just like him. John, 1 John 3, 1 through 3 reads, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it, is no, it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. Fifth, though we cannot completely know what our bodies will look like or be like, we can assume that there will be, they, they will be glorious, but not such a change as to be unrecognizable as He to whom we will be like was recognizable. That's only, it's only logical, right? Just, just to this, right? Did they have... Some have such a worked-out theology here in Genesis? I don't think so. Uh, I think they understood. We know Job was written about this same time, uh, probably by Moses or at least edited by him. And we know that Job had this understanding that he would see his Redeemer. Not only would he see him, he would see him with his own eyes and not the eyes of another body. Exactly what he says. So... Whatever that we come up with, we need to make sure that we take all of that into consideration. Right? Their hope was not that they would spend eternity in the ethereal spiritual world, but bodily with God. Bodily with God. Right? A lot of our preterist friends are much like the sons of the prophet after Elijah is taken away. They sent out 500 strong men to go find him. Even though Elijah said, don't waste your time, he's not here any longer. Why? Because he was taken bodily. We'll see that a little more later. Being cleansed, God meets us at his altar, verses 9 through 12. God now appears to Jacob a second time after leaving Padan Aram. This is God coming in direct response to the actions of his people. Now, we need to see this is what happens in worship. We... Uh, are called into God's presence, and because of that, then we give praise and thanksgiving. We sing praises unto Him. And then, having come into His presence, seeing Him as holy, we're reminded of His holiness and our sinfulness, and we confess our sins, and we're washed with His Word, 
And we respond, and he responds, and it's a conversation, even though it's covenant renewal, right? And we see this is what's happening here. God gives commands, Jacob obeys, then God acts for Jacob, right? Direct response to the actions of his people. Now, this is what we just said concerning rituals. God says, do these things, and it removes our defilement. It also prompts God to meet with us at his, or in His altar. By the way, Jesus is our final altar. right? He is the altar on which our salvation is made. And we meet God in Christ, our altar. We are able to come into His presence and be before Him because we are in Christ. Because we are in Christ. It seems to me the pattern is covenant renewal here. God meets Jacob as he enters the tabernacle land and wrestles with him. Then Jacob and his house becomes defiled. Jacob performs baptismal rituals and God meets him. Then what does God do? He reminds Jacob that his name is Israel and restates his covenant promises. God also reveals himself in a new way to Israel. We have God calling himself here El Shaddai. One of the things I hate about modern translations, we lose those beautiful transliterated names of God. We have to look down here in our tiny notes to find the word El Shaddai. But that's what he says. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. I am the Almighty God. This also fits with covenant renewal worship. As in the ritual of worship, God reveals himself to us at times in new ways. Then Almighty God commissions Israel, Be fruitful and multiply. A company of nations and kings will come from you. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac your father, I am giving to you. This is not what we should hear. Uh, in the, uh, is this not what we should hear in the commissioning of, of God every week? We're commissioned to go out every week. Be fruitful and multiply and take possession of the land that I have given you. As we go through these rituals and they become normal to us, then we are more freely able to worship without giving a whole lot of thought to it. I'm telling you, my favorite two times of worship is the doxology and the Gloria Patra, even if I can't say them. It is my favorite time. Why? Because I know them by heart. I don't even have to think about what I'm singing. I can just... Turn my heart and my mind up to God and, and, and sing as loud as I want. Because I know it's very unlikely, that doesn't always happen, but it's very unlikely I'm not going to stumble in those words because we do it every week. We're, we don't have to sit and dwell on what we're going to say. We're able to just sing it, just sing unto the glory of God. And this is what's going on. Then Jacob... Pays his vows, and so should we. Verses 13 through 15. God goes up from Jacob where they were talking. This should remind us of two things. First, it should remind us of the appearance of God to Jacob in this same spot and Jacob's ladder ziggurat, pyramid, chapter 28. The second, we will look at more clear, uh, closely next week as we celebrate Ascension. Acts 1, 9-11 says, 
Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This then is Jesus meeting with his disciples after his resurrection, finally and completely opening the way for us uh, to also weekly go up into heaven. In, de- in response, Jacob sets up a pillar, a stone pillar. This is a memorial stone that would have been a place of meeting with God. It is similar to what we said in chapter 28 about the stone that Jacob rested his head on and then poured oil on. It symbolized Jacob, and now it symbolized Jacob and his family. It is symbolic. He's, he, I had my head here. This is what God, I want God to do with me. Like Jacob poured the oil on the stone Jacob, God will pour His Spirit on the real Jacob. Now we have the added uh, symbol of the drink offering. And wine represents the Spirit as well. Ephesians 5.18 Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. They're contra. One symbolizes the other. We also from this see how ritual brings about results. Jacob does symbolic rituals... And God brings those symbols to reality. It is not magic. It is God fulfilling His promises through the faith He has given us to perform the acts He tells us to take supernaturally. So if you want to call it magic, I don't care. But now we will begin to see a new paradigm or a pattern here. We have pointed out the pattern of wells and altars. So the patriarchs would... Go out, they would dig a well, they'd find water, they'd build an altar, and they'd worship. Right? And we see this in Abraham, Isaac, and even in Jacob at the beginning. But now the paradigm has shifted. We're going to see we're going to see altars and trees. We're going to see altars and trees. I, I think that's one of the main reasons uh, also that Deborah uh, was mentioned here because she's buried under the terebinth tree, the oak tree. Um, this paradigm uh, shift... Uh, is showing us uh, that, well, we'll see. And, and we see it, it here as the word for stone here is also the word used to describe a tree trunk in Hebrew. This could be taken in several ways or directions. The one I like the best is that Jacob is dead, symbolized by the tree stone, and Israel is raised, symbolized by the oil and the wine. This paradigm shift uh, points from birth through the wells to maturity in the trees and worship all the way through. We will deal with this more in the coming chapters, but for now, notice the shift. By the way, if you want to think about this a little deeper, think about Revelation 7, 8, and 9. Revelation 7, 8, and 9, we see trees and wells and uh, creation all there together. Um, We'll deal with that later. Uh, Notice that this is probably the tithe offering that Jacob had vowed to give. The tithe was was given in the seventh month in the Levitical law, and thus it would, I would assume, this would have been the time of year for Jacob. Jacob likely likely had slaughtered uh, a tenth of his animals, and this was a witness to the people 
in his household and the inhabitants of Luz that Jacob placed his faith in Yahweh and not in his possessions. Lastly, Jacob, copying God, renamed Luz Bethel for a second time. Remember that naming something shows ownership. Jacob shows his faith that God will do as he has promised. We should do the same thing. We should make and keep our vows to God. We have vowed certain things to God in the presence of this local body and to this denomination. We are to serve each other and this community. So, church, how are you keeping your vows? How are we serving each other? Right? May God bless us to go on to maturity as a mighty tree planted beside the wells of water. May we be strong in the faith, moved only by the Holy Spirit. As weekly, we show ourselves separate. We tell the Canaanite world around us that we are not with them. Not only have we put off their practices and rejected their gods, we also confess that we are one body together as we have our ritual meal with one another. And by God's grace, we are becoming more and more one body in Christ. Amen? Let us pray. Glorious and almighty God, we thank you, Father, for this, your word. We thank you for the ways and means that you help us to come to know you better and to trust in you more. And, Father, to be cleansed from our, our own defilement. Father, we thank you, God, for the blood of Christ, which makes us clean permanently. And we thank you, Father, that you have given us these things by your power and for your glory. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We now move into a time of communion. And here again, we are reminding God that we uh, are the bride of Christ, that we are also at the same time His body, and He's made certain promises to us. And we're reminding Him that the blood has been shed and the body broken to make us acceptable to Him. And therefore, we call on Him to fulfill His promises to us. So, I'll ask the heads of household to please stand to receive for their families as I read the words of institution and ask the Lord to bless our meal. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said... Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let us pray. Glorious and almighty God, we are very thankful, Father, that you have accepted us, Father, in Jesus Christ. We thank you for his broken body and for his shed blood. We thank you for the promises that are yes and amen in him, and we pray, God, that you will fulfill them in us, your people, and in this community. And, God, we pray that in all this you will be glorified. For it is in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, I pray. We pray. Amen.